0: Welcome to Homepage Radio on WPKN. Homepage Radio comes on every month, the fourth week, fourth Thursday of every week in the calendar year, and this week we have a very special show that deals with accessory buildings. Doesn't sound as boring as the words indicate. And we have some very interesting people coming. But before I do that, I want to say hi to Rod Richardson through the phone line for about the sixth month in a row. Rod, how are you?
1: Uh, I'm okay. Duo, how are you?
0: Good. Last time we talked, there you had had a home invasion by a large tree limb. Has that been resolved?
1: Uh, The limb was uh, lifted off the house about two weeks after it was placed there by Mother Nature in her uh, typical fashion. Um, and so somebody came by, lifted that limb up, and uh, ground it up, and uh, so the only thing I have to show for it is uh, uh, some damage to the house, Not certainly not as bad as uh, many of my neighbors in, uh, in uh, well, that's good. my part of the world, but at the same time enough that I had to, uh, that we had to call the insurance company, and so we're now going to be figuring out how we're going to get it fixed, and, of course, that's a whole other thing, trying to figure out who would be the best person, et cetera, et cetera, and plus availability due to the fact that there's so many it. others that are, you know, with worse situations than our own.
0: Well, you know, it's almost like a metaphor in that this year everybody's saying, oh, this is the worst year ever for a variety of uh, realities, and the bad times... For homeowners, I think, mean that thoughts trend to the not normal things. And I'm sure, Rod, you're, you've thought about owning a freestanding single-family home a lot in the last month.
1: Um, yeah, but you know, ultimately my conclusion is you've got you know, trade-offs no matter where you are right and um you know it's ironic because the last show that that we did uh n- nothing bad had happened to my home in in terms of the wake of uh hurricane or tropical storm Isaias. Um, A branch fell, but it was in the driveway. It didn't hurt anything. It was just inconvenient and educational. Um, And and so it was, like, really weird that the same day as I had that conversation with you, uh, the limb came down and and struck my house. And uh, I've been there for 16 years, and it's the first time that I've had actually uh, damage to the house because of nature revealing its, uh, well, its disposition, I suppose you could say, which is we're not significant. We're small. But here we are seeking shelter.
0: Well, what's weird is we are small, but, we, but humans do have to live somewhere. And that's why we do homepage radio, because no matter where you call a home, whether it's your mother's basement or the backseat of a car or a McMansion in Greenwich, you're living somewhere. And living somewhere in a pandemic is, or after a pandemic, will change because of the changes that Rod just went through, I'm going through, you're all going through, we're all going through, that basically say, why do we live the way we live? It was once said, you know, many moons ago, it was said that a man's home is his castle. And that sexist absurdity is really matched, I think, by the changes in a similar Uh, axiomatic cliche of the free standing home that we're all used to. And that ownership imperative, that the single family zoning that resulted from the one man's castle sensibility uh, has been the law of suburban America really for three generations after World War II. But in the 21st century, the culture began to wake up a little bit to climate change and sustainability and even to A thing called new urbanism and now COVID-19 and all of those things every one of those things have raised the question of what density is. Is it possible for more people to live on each acre of land or is it just too dangerous in terms of COVID or is it just simply counter to what people are willing to accept That's really important here in Connecticut and Long Island because we have some of the most established and built-out suburban communities in America. I mean, there's precious little land left in the greater New York metropolitan area for residential development on raw land. so the word teardown was invented about a generation ago because older, smaller, uh, less wonderful homes would be, that were perfectly functional, would be simply torn down to build a bigger, nicer, newer home. And that amazing toss-away, throw-away attitude meant that the cost of housing skyrockets in places like Fairfield County, Westchester County, the places that are around New York City, simply because there's no raw land to build on. And those housing costs and the subsequent taxes that they inveigh on the people that are doing them are really among the highest in the entire United States in the WPKN listening area. Well, when need butts up against opportunity, when the need to make things affordable, more uh, sustainable, butts up against the opportunity of new thinking, change really happens. But everybody knows that change is really hard, as somebody once said. So in the light of the pandemic, uh, the density of living in mid and high-rise New York City is really viewed now by many as being quite dangerous. And in the full apprehension of what climate change means, you know, more people should be living closer together because it means less carbon, less cost in the infrastructure. And this sets up an amazingly uh, conundrum-filled competition between property value and social good. Well, in that in that. Conundrum in that crucible of need versus fear. Um, There is a thing that's been around for a long time, but it's now newly important. And it's called, technically, it's called an accessory dwelling unit, meaning an accessory apartment, meaning either as part of the home or as a detached thing, a separate place where different people live. And that separate place means it's no longer single family dwelling or single family zoning. It's a building lot with one or more places for people to live on it. And that densification, that creation of the accessory dwelling unit is being debated and zoning laws are being changed all across the country. And there's a growing drumbeat to modify them to accept greater flexibility beyond that freestanding single-family home and that has dominated suburban life for three generations. You know, the larger wheels of sustainability diversity and increasing the value of our homes have always meant new ways of thinking about how we protect communities but now there's a new edge on it because the need is greater the need is greater to have cities that are less dense and suburban communities that are more dense and those issues those complex issues involve things like thinking about the, gener- the, the benefits of intergenerational living and the other aspect of expanding your home without making a gigantic house or just killing the trees that are trying to kill Rod's house. I mean, should should zoning promote income diversity? As baby boomers like me age, and my children can't afford to live separately in Connecticut and Long Island, should several generations of families be allowed legally to live on one place in their own dwelling units? Not one extended family and with one kitchen and one uh, master suite, but basically several places to live in on one building lot is that even do you think that 's a good idea or not beyond that the post pandemic economy will be different from the one we have now. We may need to to change the way we think about single family homes to recognize safely separated home offices and the costs that are increasing just on an unrelenting way. Um, could be mitigated to provide an income stream for both the towns in the form of property taxes, but also rental, perhaps, for the people that are living in these freestanding homes. So as we come out of sequestration, get vaccinated, look at the future, things are going to change. And I just would like to posit one simple thing, you know, that like the three bears porridge, the city may be too hot, The single-family home may be too cold, but something in between may be just right. So when we come back, we're going to be talking to three people that look at accessory buildings from a very unique place in their lives and in some of them in their careers. So join us when we join, when we bring into the uh, studio or bring into the the virtual studio Paul Zapiga, who is actually making one of these separate units right now. This is Duo Dickinson on Homepage Radio on WPKN. Well, welcome back to Homepage Radio. As is with all things live, things change. And Paul Zapiga is not available for our radio show, and that's, that's too bad. But in the interim, you know, I am an architect. And to be honest, we've worked for, in the last, four, uh, in the last year, we've worked on four separate accessory building projects. Projects that are both de- building something brand new and also dealing with renovating existing space and thinking about what does it mean. And the uses of these buildings are incredibly varied. One, one use, which, which everybody knows the phrase, is a quote-unquote um, in-law apartment, meaning that there's a traditional nuclear family, and in that nuclear family there are parents of either or both spouses, and they live in Units that are in the home, and that's often the case in, in buildings in very dense neighborhoods. They actually have a separate door in and they have their own kitchen and all the rest. But there are many towns, towns like Danbury and Stamford and even Norwalk, that have got really hard, fast, real ways of segregating uh, people from accessory apartments or preventing them from happening, or demanding, as in the case of Greenwich, demanding that those living in it file an affidavit every year that they are over a certain age. There are also deed restrictions you can place on accessory buildings, ones that say, you have this building and whoever owns uh, this this extra building with your building on your building site can only use it to house, in effect, um, a relative or somebody of a limited income in westport they actually have a statute that basically uses it to diversify the income levels of the people living in westport and use it as a way to do uh, in effect subtle affordable housing in established neighborhoods all of this is in a way high-minded and wonderful but the bottom line is that there are people that have purchased homes on the basis of the fact that they were in a single-family neighborhood with that level of density, that level of infrastructure, that level of traffic, all those things that that come with a typical suburban community, the homogeneity that high cost typically invades upon our culture, much to the detriment of, of, I think, uh, openness and thoughtfulness, but at the same time, people's greatest asset and their greatest liability is almost always in where they live. Either you are in a rental, and you're paying a huge amount of money every month just to live somewhere, and that's a real liability, or it's, it's a liability in the fact that you've got a mortgage, and that mortgage is a huge balance pending, and you're paying it off, but it's a gigantic weight against your net worth as you get older and have accrued wealth in theory, as you, as you save money doing work uh, for pay. So threatening your net worth, threatening essentially your ability to function as a, as a, as a family in a, in a place that you live in that uh, apple cart doesn't want to be tossed over with high-minded social good. well, Now, though, things have changed in a very different way. Now, you could make a real case that with the super densification of New York City, with these extremely tall residential skyscrapers in midtown Manhattan, that that part of the world now is so super dense, relying on things like elevators and lobbies and subway cars and buses. That type of living, which involves extreme closeness makes social distancing beyond problematic, in fact, almost renders it impossible. Now, of course, for sure, we're going to get a vaccine one way or another in the next year. We're going to all be vaccinated, and and in theory, we'll be able to, to shake hands and be together and live in skyscrapers. But I know many people, and I'm sure you do too, would say, my life's never going to be the same. This has Im- impacted me so heavily that I never want to put myself at peril like that again. Because as we all know, even with vaccines, there's going to be people with COVID and flu and any other things. And even with those diseases being dealt with with a the vaccine, there are hundreds of things that make living close together dangerous in terms of your health and also in terms of other things that, like crime and, and cost, that make the idea that living in a single-family neighborhood is something that might have to change. Because if we are essentially centering on the city, and in our case it's New York City, but in other places it's Boston or, or Los Angeles or San Francisco, if we're centering on the city for our cultural and maybe often income-based li- lives, um, we must adapt that single-family regimen to the density of the city, and conversely, the suburbs, which are so not dense, so wasteful of energy and, and infrastructure, and also have so much um, uh, opportunity for having more people living on a site with, with now with new septic systems and mass transportation no impact on the groundwater and other infrastructural elements, that a lot of people are looking at that and saying it would enrich our culture if the single-family, quarter-acre to three-acre zoning laws allowed some people to put more than one building more or more than one dwelling unit in that area. And that is the controversy. Accessory, Accessory dwelling units not only accommodate diversity, prevent disease, increase density, but also affect property values. Whether that net effect increases your property values or not is really something that probably has to be determined. It will increase your property taxes to have more than one living place on your building lot, but will it over time make the overall taxes even out? and maybe each family might end up paying less if there are more than one family is living on a single building lot. These sorts of changes were in the offing really for several generations, where things like workforce housing, even homeless housing that's, that's been distributed in uh, homeless apartments throughout many developed uh, cities across the, the, the country, and, uh, and we've worked on those ourselves those housing alternatives, which, some, which my guests will be dealing with, really are at the forefront of rethinking of our culture. And when something like a pandemic happens, when, when a pandemic actually literally flips the course of our trajectory and forces us for several months, and really now for most of us still, five or six months, to look inwardly and say, how do we want to live? And we've been living in our homes and we've been working, most of us, in our homes, the nature of what a home is, is called into question. And when you call the nature of a home into question, things like accessory dwelling units are right there, front and center, for communities and individuals to consider in terms of their future. Just realize that I'm a baby boomer, I'm 65 years old. I personally will never retire, however, many 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 people in in the greatest and largest generation for about 50 or 80 years um, are retiring they are changing their where they live will change because they don't have children in them and they might have to accept offices in them and they might have to be intergenerational and they might want to have a place where returning children can live so those changes that are completely not architectural, completely affect the way homeowners, builders, architects, everyone thinks about the classic home. And the image that we've always had is the white picket fence, quarter acre lot, freestanding home as almost the American dream. Well it is the American dream, but the truth is that American dream has, is not working for more and more people and things have to change. Meanwhile, we've got 70 million freestanding individual homes in America today, and that's a real asset, and it really is embodied energy that we don't want to give up as we try to make the world more sustainable. Well, when we come back, we're going to be talking to Carrie Macover, who is a retired planner. She's worked, she worked in Westport for over 10 years, and she is at the forefront, literally at the vanguard of thinking about different ways to live right here in the district of WPKN Radio. So when we come back, we'll talk to her. This is Duo Dickinson on homepage radio on WPKN 89.5 FM on your radio dial. And in case I haven't told you lately, do go to the website and do think about what you can do for WPKN. Hello, welcome back to Homepage Radio. This is Duo Dickinson. Homepage Radio meets on the 4th Thursday of every month in WPKN, and in it we talk about the home, the one central binding reality in all cultures, all incomes, all environments, and everywhere in the world, human beings have a home, a place to live that is more important than a burrow or a nest or a or something that you create by instinct and genetic engineering you opt to live in a certain way in a certain context well in the context of wpkn connecticut long island those areas that are all around new york city the most developed suburban infrastructure maybe in the world has relegated all the available land to uses that are mostly in terms of the gross area of the the property single-family homes sitting on dirt that is regulated in size by zoning codes and zoning codes are the way that property values are maintained for the people that own homes and that's really only been in in place really since about 1950 to 1960 after world war ii that suburbia got so developed that it really needed the protections of a code to say what you could and couldn't build so that everybody who was there would be protected from somebody making something too big too small too many people living there essentially wrecking the uh, apple cart for the people that have devoted their lives to being in a certain place well in that context and in the context of covid-19 and also in the context of the need for density in a sustainable future and also the desire to have things that are walkable in this world versus car dependent the world is rediscovering things called accessory dwelling units, which are either in existing homes, added to existing homes, or, or separate buildings with new homes in them. In this world of housing options is Carrie McOver. And Carrie Macover retired from working for over a decade in Westport, but she is now the, a member of the Fairfield Affordable Housing Committee and Fairfield Senior Advocates. And she has a master in landscape design, and, and she's a self described evangelist for uh, accessory dwelling units and pocket neighborhoods and co housing and all of that kind of stuff. Welcome to the show, Carrie Macover.
2: Thank you, duo. I've been sitting here listening to you and I'm very excited to be here. And yes, I do very much believe in accessory dwelling units. I think its time has come. I got started in this through my work with the Fairfield um, Senior Advocates, and we have so many people who are getting older, who are leaving Fairfield because they can't find a place to live. They want to downsize, but they still want to be in community. And we're trying to help point out to people that accessory dwelling units may be one way of solving that problem, of both giving seniors a place to live and also if a senior wants to construct one on their property and it is allowed, they can, you know, get rental income, as you said earlier. Mm.
0: Now, you, you you in your work and i'm assuming this has really been at least for 30 years if if you started in westport in 1990 yeah. at least in 30 years you're you're going up against really an entrenched social system but also an entrenched economic system correct what what tell us t- you know this world better than i do tell us what the what the real problems are when you go to a zoning commission and say, "We'd like to change the zoning code to add additional units to be allowable in what was a single-family zoned community."
2: Well, Westport, where I worked for several years, and Fairfield, where I live, where I've lived for many, many years, uh, these codes have been in place for a while, but very, very limited. And also, there's also been always in all these communities and in communities probably across the country. Many illegal accessory dwelling right. units, just apartments constructed within houses, usually rented to families. It may or may not have a complete kitchen, but it functioned in this accessory dwelling unit. But when people, you know, are afraid something's going to be constructed that's going to overlook their backyard and they'll see something that they didn't see before, there's usually huge objections. Although I have the feeling that may start to change, and that is starting to change now because people are realizing that this is really a good thing it can be because they've got kids adult kids who need to live someplace or they've got aging relatives and all of a sudden you know they're very leery about nursing homes or assisted living facilities and putting people in those types of places so um, I think we're going to see some changes I all these communities have been somewhat studying and liberalizing their existing
0: regulations mm. and- in In your experience as as a housing advocate and mm-hmm. your and especially in this area, if you had to say, "Who are the people that are most in need of these types of units is there is there a, is there a an age a class a a gender what what who wants to be in accessory dwelling units
2: Well, I think one demographic that 's growing tremendously right now is older women either divorced or widowed, and this would be perfect for them. If they could live in an accessory dwelling unit, maybe on the same property in which one of their children lives, but have their own place. I mean, as I've heard said, two women in one kitchen don't always work
0: too well. <laughs>
2: so, you know, that would be one demographic I would point out. But really, I think it's almost everybody for different mm. reasons, because... Every time we talk about housing that's good for seniors in Fairfield Senior Advocates, we're realizing this is housing that's good for everybody. That right. There are different stages in your life when you need different things. So if it's a, a couple with kids just coming out of college, they right. can't afford to live here on their own. And this is a way of giving them a start. Or It's, it's, it's almost everybody that can use an accessory dwelling unit. Sometimes they might just be using it as an office. Right. So not necessarily as a uh, dwelling unit It it can change its function during its own lifetime And the objections are often from neighbors You know, I don't want to see something where it hasn't been But if it conforms to setbacks and height and right. coverage There really shouldn't be any way of saying, no, you can't do this And... Um, I think we're going to see movement in that direction to liberalizing these regulations
0: well what's really interesting is that um is is that this old argument i mean uh, I built an accessory place to be next to my home twenty years ago, mm-hmm. and I followed all the rules and we we' had to sign a a, a codicil that basically said it would only be for um those who were part of my family and guests. It could be no one else. Obviously, we could never rent it. It wouldn't be this rental housing thing, which which now is being defeated massively by Airbnb, by the way, by a ton of people that have Airbnb apartments within their home. Um, This existing drumbeat of diversifying and densifying communities, as allowed, has a new... I would say pressure upon it, which is COVID-19.
2: Oh, absolutely. How do
0: you see COVID-19 impacting what you've been working on for these last 30 years?
2: I see it increasing demand tremendously for accessory dwelling units because what I hear from real estate agents, just incidentally, is that people are looking for these right now to put in a relative or to have in the future if they need to put a relative in. and. In my own house, I have not an accessory dwelling unit, but just a room in the basement that has a full bath and a kitchenette. And Mm. It wouldn't be an accessory dwelling unit, but it can be anything else at any time. And uh, I think people need that flexibility, so I think there's an increasing demand for it. I'm looking, you know, in Fairfield, where I live now, so many McMansions that are just way too big that anybody needs. And these could easily have an apartment right within them as an accessory dwelling unit, and others could have freestanding accessory dwelling units. It doesn't work everywhere. It's harder where, you know, it's certainly easier if you can connect to a sewer system. It's certainly easier if there are no wetlands on your property that are infringing all of that. But there are enough places where it can work that it can be a benefit and not turn everything into that every street has you know 50 accessory dwelling units that's not going to happen.
0: Well, this has been really interesting to me that the the your experience is well not unique cuz the next woman I'm going to be talking to has a very similar track in her career as yeah. well about thinking about this but I'd be really interested as a person that lives really in in the belly of Fairfield County Uh, What do you, if you had to pull back and say, we know what this market is now, it's a freestanding suburban market, Mm freestanding home suburban market. After you and I are long gone, say, in in our children's children's generation, what do you think will be the gist of those residential neighborhoods? What will they be like?
2: I think they'll be... Mostly similar. I think maybe instead of McMansions, we can have single-family houses with a nicely designed and appropriate-looking accessory dwelling unit behind it, clearly as an accessory structure that complements the main house, so that it it looks acceptable to people. I think we'll have more of that, or maybe in the McMansions we'll have not what's called duplex housing or two-family mm. housing, but have an accessory unit. The implication of accessory is that its size is smaller, and so usually they're regulated by ease of the maximum number of square feet or percentage of the main house. Right. Uh, I think that's going to continue. I don't see any let-up of that.
0: Well, thank you so much for being with us, Carrie Macover, and, and I hope to have you back on the show again.
2: Okay. Thank you, Duo.
0: So when we come back, we're going to be talking to Joan Arnold, working in housing for at least 40 years, and I think longer. And we'll be talking to her not so much as somebody from right around WPKN, but somebody who knows this entire region and the country in a, in a larger sense in terms of what housing options are. So when we return to homepage, we'll be talking to Joan Arnold this is Duo Dickinson uh, for Homepage NWPKN eighty nine point five FM. Welcome back to Homepage Radio. I'm Duo Dickinson. I'm an architect and Home Radio is about what architects often deal with, but every single human being on the planet deals with every single day, which is their home. And in the world of home, there are any number of definitions of the way we live, from couch surfing for some to building an estate over 50 years, and or building your own home, or buying a home, or adding an addition to a home, or just simply renting a nice place to live and no matter what you do homes tend to just take a huge amount of your income or worth to have for yourself no matter if it's renting or sharing rent or building or buying or anything homes are an enormous asset but they are also an enormous cost but in all cases they are always about the way we look at the world how we see the way we should live because we think about the way the world is living and what the future is and how we want to be a part of it. Part of that and the focus of this homepage radio show is a movement, or not a movement, I guess it's a alt- housing alternative that's been around for a very long time called Accessory Dwelling Units, you know, otherwise known as the quote-unquote in-law apartment or just another place to live in the world that we've created here in Fairfield County, Long Island, and the listenership of WPKN, which is suburbia. Since World War II, many, many millions of homes have been built where individual family units have lived and raised children, and and children have launched and come back. But the definition of family has changed the definition of how we live has changed with COVID-19. The vast majority of people for a while who were working were working at home. Things have changed, and into this changed world is the option of creating more than one dwelling unit in a single-family zoned place, which terrifies people and also brings up the specter of rental housing and community change and any number of things, despite the fact that it increases density, the fact that it increases diversity, the fact that it allows multi-generations to live together, accessory dwelling units are, in fact, not the norm for this part of the world. And into this, I'm bringing Joan Arnold, who is the Executive Director of Allied Community Enterprises, otherwise known as ACE, and has been... um, a founder of A Home Housing, also in Westchester, New York. And she was just honored as one of Bedford's 25 most influential doers by Shore and other people. So I feel very honored to have on the program my old friend, Joan Arnold. Joan, how are you?
3: I am good. How are you, Duo?
0: Good. So so I have a really important question for you because you know more about this than anybody I know. So... If you're looking at okay. housing in highly developed northeast, how do accessory dwelling units fit in?
3: Well, I think it offers uh an opportunity to reuse the single family home which um as your other speaker has noted is and you have uh is I don't know if it's in jeopardy, but it's 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 be it's gone beyond its use, I think. Um And uh, there's a lot of opportunities to take an existing home and create within it, or even on top of a garage, another dwelling unit. So I Mm. think in the Northeast, it makes a lot of sense um, in the villages and towns and what have you of suburbia. I know that also, I know you want me to talk about the national movement. Um, uh, In California, it has increased the number of housing units exponentially. It's amazing. Um, Mm. One of the other, um, I've been studying this for a while, so I've been asking people for their ADU ordinances, and a good friend of mine who lives in Hawaii uh, sent me her uh, ordinance because her son, who was in his 20s, is in his 20s, wanted to buy a house, but he wanted to have an accessory dwelling unit um, so he could afford that house um, in Washington D.C. They have, uh, finally, about two or three years ago, implemented an accessory dwelling unit ordinance. And uh, if you want to reference that, it's on our website, and it, it describes the different types of models. So for the Northeast, I think it's it's a very um, a really good type of model. Um, yeah.
0: So, so in the Northeast, and also in California and Hawaii and all the rest, there, there are a lot of different ways to do this. Uh, did, do, could you cite any specific examples um, that, that seem to have worked in terms of the target audience? I mean, I know that places restrict it, many places restrict it to relatives, but what other types of accessory dwelling units are used for what purposes?
3: Well, I think that, you know, we've talked about the senior population. I just mentioned the young population. Um, I think that it has a lot more flexibility than we're thinking. I think that communities that restrict it to age, um, although I'm up there in age myself, so I appreciate that, um, are really limiting the diversity of their population. I mean, you might have A homeowner um, an older homeowner wanting to uh, create an accessory apartment so they can stay in their house and they may not want another old person they may want somebody young a student or somebody just getting their feet on the ground uh, with their profession so I think there's that Um, yeah, well, an
0: interesting thing, an interesting to me also in all of this is that, as if, if there's somebody here listening, and I'm sure there are people that are saying, "Wow, that's a really good idea," and and I should go talk to Town Hall about this, this see if it's going to happen. The things that that I typically see as being limiting factors are things like driveways. They don't want to have more than one curb cut. Or size, they want the buildings to be fairly small. Or aesthetics, they want it to, quote unquote, fit in, which means they need some kind of aesthetic regulatory body, which in Connecticut often revolves around uh, community design boards, and in Westchester County are architectural review boards. But the other thing, which is an enormous limitation on all density of all buildings of every kind, is septic usage. And in Madison, Connecticut, where I've worked and lived for over 30 years, uh, there is an official acknowledged in writing sewer system avoidance policy because they don't want the density that um, comes along with having sewers now that's changing because the idea is that we live in a fairly wet place and we'd like to have at least the, the, the commercial area have more ability to do more things, but I know that you are also, besides being a housing expert, you are a septic system advocate. Tell us about yes. the systems that you're championing that allow for more than one family to live on one site.
3: Okay. Well, I just I want to say that um, in the past, what we've done, Duo, because you've worked with me on these buildings, um, one of which was probably 15 years ago. And it was an older mm. house, and the way we could make the numbers work is to have it be a uh, single-family house with an accessory dwelling unit, and that's really what we did. Um, but what we had to do in that instance, because of the septic rules, and it was septic, was it was a four-bedroom house, and so mm. we took one of those bedrooms and and used it for the accessory dwelling unit. So that's oh. been a tactic that, that I, as a developer of, of affordable housing, have done, and other people have done it when people ask me, you know, how can I convert my house at an accessory dwelling unit? And I said, well, with your instance of having only septic systems, please do the um, bedroom uh, dance and, you know, make one of your bedrooms usable for the accessory dwelling unit. So there's that. Um, In Westchester County, there's a lot of resistance to using the newer systems. So what we've encountered is if your system is broken then you can use one of these newer systems. Unfortunately, Westchester, unlike other areas of the country, has not advanced to the point where they will say, well, to, to allow this other unit, we're going to allow you to use this alternate septic system, which is really mm. too bad. They've been working on it for a long time, but there's considerable resistance to these new systems, which are really not that new, we're putting in in a municipality called Lewisboro um, peat systems, and peat systems go back a long time. So it's really it's a double whammy because you have resistance to accessory apartments, the other, and you have resistance to the infrastructure issues. But I'm always optimistic, right?
0: So when we're looking at this, you've heard every argument known to mankind about not changing the existing nature of single-family dwelling neighborhoods. I've been with you in a lot of these fights. If you were to synopsize to somebody who's listening to this and and saying, well, why isn't there more of this? Could you just uh, sort of turn tables and actually get on the other side of the desk and basically say, what are the arguments against doing this?
3: I think that you know if if you're a municipal official, you are uh, afraid of um, uh, not enough parking on a site, you're going to be concerned about septic and you're always going to be concerned you're not you are not concerned as a municipal official, but there's always the neighbors who are concerned right. and they will raise any issue if they don't want a project to go forward, even a small accessory dwelling unit. What we're trying to do in New York is to uh, contemplate a statewide ordinance of some kind that will kind of, I hate to say, level the playing field. Uh, note, and your listeners should write this down, Um, RPA, the Regional Plan Association, has just published a report on ADUs, and it's called Be My Neighbor, which I find Mm. is is a very nice term. Um, It can be accessed on their website. Um, The other thing is the Enterprise, uh, Enterprise Organization Foundation Um, on October 8th is going to be holding a session on the barriers to accessory dwelling units. Uh Enterprise is a national organization committed to fair housing and housing opportunities. So those are two good, really good resources. But I think the thing is that ADUs are really, um, they're catching... they're, They're catching the attention of thought leaders across the country, and I think Mm. that's an important thing. I think that, you know, we go back and forth about trying to figure out, you know, should we do away with uh, parking requirements? That's really hard to do depending on the municipality. Mm. Um, And obviously we have issues with septic. But um, by and large, I think there's a wonderful opportunity with ADUs across the country and they can really be tailor-made into each neighborhood and community.
0: So to close, I asked Carrie Macover uh, before you, what do you think this environment that we both grew up in and work in, the suburban environment where we are the the the, the essence of it is the single family dwelling, the nuclear family, returning and and leaving uh, members of these social units, families that have composed really Western civilization for all these years. Uh, What do you think will change? Maybe not in our children's lives, but maybe their children's lives. In 50 years, what do you think these neighborhoods, these suburban neighborhoods, will look like differently from how they look now?
3: Well, I mean, some people will come and probably throw a hatchet at me, but I would say that The single-family, as we know it, is actually gone. And um, in the future, it will be um, more of these um, houses that have an accessory dwelling unit, more two-family houses, perhaps two- or three-family houses that could be not just rentals, but could be co-ops or condominiums. I'd like to believe that, and we've discussed this, there's a place for... Sharing um, neighbors community um, rather than all these little silos you know, mm. silos uh, single family silos 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 right. so that there's um really more of a sense of community
0: well, like. it's been great having you on the sh- on the show joan and and I want to thank you for coming, and I'm definitely going to have you back again. And I want to say to our audience uh, as as we close, I just want to say essentially accessory dwelling units, these separate places that we live, really are just a metaphor for the compensations that we all have in terms of our homes. As everything changes, realize that it's always been that way, that the 19th century in America meant that if you had a home, it was a home for the next century. For the foreseeable future, you'd always be in the Smith home or the Jones home. Or if you were an immigrant coming in the 19th century, you had to find a cold water flat somewhere that you could walk to the factory where you worked, and maybe you shared that with six or eight other factory workers. Or maybe when you came back from World War II, there was this program that you could actually get any number of uh, loans to build your own little home. But in all those things, accessory dwelling units, uh, couch surfing, any number of ways you can can live manifests just one thing, your home. Thank you for joining Homepage Radio. This is Duo Dickinson, 89.5 FM, PWPKN.